can I, can I preach? Can I preach? Can we get into his word? Turn around and take your Bibles. Don't sit down. Just turn around and take your Bibles. Turn with me to the narrative that God will use today to speak to us. James chapter 3 and James chapter 4. I'm going to preach to the five that are excited about God's word. <laughs> Let me just throw this out there. Today's message is going to be a little different. Is that okay? Is it okay if I, if I bring you a, a different message? Because, listen, it's a message from my heart. Is that all right? Hello? You see, sometimes God will give us a word that is timely. It's for a specific season. What is so incredible about God is this series that we're in was something that we were going to do in the late spring of the year. As we're sitting around as a creative team, I said, no, 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 let's just push it to August. And I, I didn't realize that God was, was, was quickening my spirit. It was not like, okay, this is the Holy Spirit moment. Let's move it to August. But today, as we get into chapter 3, I see that had we been in chapter 3 in, in May we would have missed exactly what God was trying to do right here in August. And you'll see that in a few minutes. So today I want to bring you a word that I believe God has given to me. So look at your neighbor and say, I'm ready for the word. Look at your other neighbor and say, are you ready for the word? How many of you know we have some southern colloquial statements? Statements that if I started these phrases you probably could finish them like you know if it's raining outside we would say it's raining like cats and if you're really busy in life you might say something like um, I'm running around like a chicken with my head that's pretty gross by the way There's another statement, like if it's hot outside, you might say, it's as hot as, don't, don't. <laughs> but there is one phrase that I do want you to finish today. If you've ever heard something that you agree with and you want to hear it again, you might say, you can say that. Look at your neighbor and announce to them the title of today's message. You can say that again. Look at your other neighbor and say, you can say that again. Now be seated. Here's the problem with that statement. So many times we act upon that statement when we should not. So many times we say again something that we should have never said in the first place. Hello. I want to use that concept and basically take the context of what James is saying and apply it to that concept today. However, I need to digress some just for a moment in order to give you this refresher crash course on the last two weeks. In this series we're in, we're dissecting the book of James. And the book of James could be synopsized in, in really the brief thought process of, of the how-to manual of our faith. 
That's what the book of James is. It's the how-to manual. It's, it's what our faith is supposed to look like. It's, it, it's what our faith should, should, should be like. It, it's what our faith should, should operate like. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's how our faith is applicable to every single area of our lives and every single season of our lives. It's how our faith works. Somebody say faith works. And so week one, if you'll remember, we were in the message, shut up and listen. Where James wrote, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Where James was talking about in life, you're going to have struggles. It's not if you're going to have struggles, it's when you're going to have struggles. If you'll remember, I quoted it just a minute ago. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because in faith, it will develop perseverance. He did, he did not say if you face troubles, he said when you face troubles. And then he said, be quick to listen and slow to speak. In other words, be quick to listen to the word of God before you speak. Then last week, in part two of this series, we were in the thought process of practice makes permanent what you practice ultimately becomes permanent and he was talking about our faith the actions of our faith he said what good is it for a man to say that he has salvation but yet has no deeds he says faith without works is dead faith without works is lifeless why did he say this because the culture the jewish culture that he was writing to had found salvation in jesus but they were not displaying the servanthood of christ so today, as we get into chapter 3, we're going to find that James was very repetitive. He was in a repetitive mood, so to speak. What he was saying in this passage was something similar to what he had already said, but yet he's saying it in a different way. He's talking about the application of our faith, the action of our faith, and how the action of our faith sends a message to the world. So... Before we get into chapter 3, let me digress just a little bit further. Let's actually begin in chapter 2. Flip with me to chapter 2. I want to read something to you. Follow me upstairs. Chapter 2. I'm not sure if you have it, but chapter 2, we're going to actually begin in verses 22 and 23. Now, here's what's unique. This is the exact place where we left off last week. James is writing to the Jewish culture about the action of their faith, and he brings to their mind Abraham, the father of faith. Because everybody that he's writing to in the early church knows who Abraham is. They know what Abraham did. They know that God called him to sacrifice his only son, his greatest possession in life. So he's trying to show them how their faith is supposed to operate. And look what he says in chapter 2, beginning in verse 22 and 23. It says this, you see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Hold on a second. He's drawing to our minds. He's drawing to the reader's mind, especially the Jewish culture, if you will. This thought of how Abraham was commanded by God to offer up his son as a sacrifice. And the Bible says that Abraham did not hesitate, but he took his only son, Isaac. He walked for three days. He took him up on the mountain. He laid him out on the altar. He grabbed his knife in his hand. He lifted his hand up, but the Bible says there was another hand that was present. When he lifted his hand up, the hand of God placed his hand upon his hand. How many of you know when you act 
upon the Word of God, the hand of God becomes upon you. When you act upon the Word of God, the hand of God is upon you, and no weapon formed against you shall prosper. So he looked at Abraham, and he said, Not him, not now, because the weapon that comes against you, God will overcome by using the weapon of his choice, and you are the weapon of his choice. And when you act upon his Word, you become an overcomer. Somebody help me preach. You can say that again. So here is what's so unique is Abraham, right after that event, the people of the Jewish culture, they know that Abraham set up an altar. And he called that altar, the Lord provides. And he began to worship God at that place. Why? Because when we begin to act upon the word of God, the provision of heaven is unloaded upon us. When we begin to act upon the word of God, heaven's provision rains down on our behalf. So here's Abraham praising God, lifting up God, calling upon the name of God because God provided, because he was obedient, because he acted upon God's word. Do we have any praisers in the house today? Hello. Do we have any worshipers in the house today? This is an interactive message. I'm going to need you to help me today. You know, it says that Abraham was a friend of God. It's not like Abraham was walking around singing Israel Houghton's song. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. And you are not. <laughs> That's not what was happening with Abraham. However, you will see that that did happen in the early church. I'm going somewhere, I promise. So James, in chapter 3, he takes it to a whole nother level. If, if you'll fast forward with me about 9 or 10 verses to verse 9 of chapter 3. You'll see that in, in chapters 1 and 2, James was very thematic. He, he was very organized. He had a specific task. But in chapters 3 and following, he became like multidirectional. He, he was multitasking. It was like he was all over the place. Like if you've ever put together a sermon, and the first half of the sermon is very organized, it's very thematic, but the second half of the sermon is like all over the place. It, that's what was happening. Or if you've ever been like in a constructive conversation also known as a argument and you're having this argument and as you're having this argument your mind is being flooded by previous arguments and all of the things that happened in those arguments so now you feel like it's a perfect time to bring all of those things back up again you're all over the place men can i get an amen yeah some of you men are smart you're wise that's what was happening in this narrative. And so, so James, last week he was talking about what our faith is supposed to look like. But this week he begins to talk about what our faith really looks like. And so if you thought last week was a hard message to endure, this week's even harder. Because James says this, and this is what's beautiful. Beginning in verse 9, James says, with the tongue, don't read any further than I read. With the tongue... We praise our Lord and Father. Stop. Don't look any further. Some of you right now are reading off the side screens. Don't look any further. With our tongue, we praise the Lord our Father. It's a beautiful verse. 
with the tongue we praise our Lord and our Father. Again, he goes to this concept of praise. He's just finished talking about praise in chapter 22 or chapter 2 verses 22 and 23. And now he's talking about praise again, the significance of praise. Why? Because worship is not an emotional stimulant. Worship is a spiritual discipline. Worship is not something that you do when you feel like it. Worship is something that you do as a lifestyle. Worship is something that when it leaves your mouth, it causes all of heaven's glory to fall down on your behalf. The Bible says that worship should be a lifestyle to offer up your life as a living sacrifice of praise. David said, I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my lips. Psalms chapter 35 says, I will use the tongue as an instrument of worship. I will praise the Lord in the morning. I will praise the Lord at noon. I will praise the Lord every single night. Why? Because the tongue is an instrument of worship. Somebody help me praise the Lord. Do we have any praisers in the house today? You can say that again. <laughs> However, all of that's beautiful and it seems to be good, but then what he's about to say next is like a right-handed turn. Because he says, watch, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And then he says, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Uh-oh. Verse 10, out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? He says, out of the same mouth, the same tongue that you use to praise God with, you also curse others. This should not be. Can I pause here for a minute? Some of you are like, no, Pastor Mark, don't pause right here because I ain't got a problem with this. It's somebody else. But sometimes I, I wonder if the negativity of life seems to occupy our mouths so much that praise seems odd when it leaves our lips. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord today? I have to wonder if sometimes life is so negative and our thoughts are so negative and our Tongues are so negative that when praise enters our mouth, it seems to be odd. And James says you can't do this because the same tongue that you use to praise God, you use to tear down man. The same tongue that you use to praise God with, you use to gossip about man. You use to slander man. You use to put down man. You use to talk negative, negatively about others. And then he takes it to a whole nother level and he says the very people that you are talking about and that you are cursing, were created in his image. And what he's saying is you're talking negative about people, you're slandering people, you're talking about gossip, you're doing all of these things, and the very people that you are talking about are created in the image of God. Therefore, what you're really doing is putting down God. Huh. Said, and brothers and sisters, it's not right. You're, you're, you're gossiping about people. You're, 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 you're slandering people. You're, you're putting people down, and, 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 and it's so divisive. And the tongue is so d divisive. The, the gas. The gas. The gas. The slander. The anger that we spew on people. If I can stand up here and do that, y'all are going to leave laughing, man. Way to sit on the first row today, the shower section. The gossip, the slander, the, the negativity that comes. 
And he's saying it is so divisive. And it tears people down. My Lord, how applicable that is to the culture that we're in today. And the hot button issues that are taking place today. Remember that James is writing to the early church. He's writing to Christians and he's saying this is not right. You're putting others down. You're slandering others. You're talking negatively about others. You're you're tearing others down with the same tongue that you're using to praise God with. This is not right, brothers and sisters. You see, what you need to understand is the historical context behind James writing this. Because if you don't understand the historical context as to why he's writing this, you will probably misapply it to your life today. But there is great relevancy. It is culturally applicable to where we are today. Because you see, what had happened, Richie, is the the early church had grown so much so. Historians tell us that the book of James was probably one of the first books written in the New Testament. So what's ended up happening is he's telling people that that Christ gave his life, but you're changing the message of Christ, and you can't change the message of Christ. This is how your faith is supposed to look, and, and it's growing like leaps and bounds, and it has to continue to grow. So he's hitting all of these areas that their faith has, has been watered down or their faith is wrong, and one of the areas is their tongue. Why? Because he's writing to a Jewish culture. Now remember this. He's writing to a Jewish culture that spread around the Mediterranean, all of these early churches. And the church has grown so much. It's grown in the Jewish culture, but it's also grown in the Gentile culture. And the problem is there is a cultural divide in between the Jewish culture and the Gentile culture. Huh. Sounds very much like some of the problems that we are facing in our culture today and he was saying the same tongue that you're using to praise God with you're using to tear others down and so the Jewish culture was looking upon the Gentile culture in an you're unworthy to receive what we have received we've received the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ but you're unworthy to receive it and there was a gap that needed to be bridged but the way they were living was causing the gap to get bigger and bigger and bigger And so their faith that they were teaching and and that they were adhering to was becoming very selective, was becoming exclusionary. And James said, this cannot be, brothers and sisters. You cannot use your tongue on one one hand to praise God, but on the other hand to tear others down. This cannot be because Jesus came and he taught us something different. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For God so loved the world. Not for God so loved just the Jew. Not for God so loved just the Gentile. Not for God so loved just the white. Not not for God so loved just the black. Not for God so loved just the Hispanic. Not for God so loved the German. Not for God so loved the Republican. Not for God so loved the Democrat. Not for God so loved this, not for God so, but for God so loved the world. In other words, God loves everybody that you see. And he goes on to say that we were created in God's image. So if you're putting someone else down based upon them being different than you, you're putting down God's creation. And he's saying you're supposed to love everyone that you see. Some of you are saying, well, hold on a second, Pastor Mark. Come on, can we dial that back some? I can't just love everyone that I see because, you know, I've just got some feelings of unforgiveness towards that person. Listen, there may be someone in your life that you are harboring 
anger or unforgiveness towards, but... And you may have every single reason. But what you need to understand is that you need to grab hold of this because so many times in faith communities, we do exactly what the Jewish culture did. We think the word of God is just for us. It's just for us and others are unworthy. But the word of God said that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. James is saying you are the message of Christ. You and how you live your life are, are the mouthpiece of Christ. You are supposed to be displaying the love of Christ. And the same tongue that you are using to praise his name, you're also using to tear others down. And it is not right. Brothers and sisters, you found salvation, but you're not displaying the love of Christ. And after all, isn't that why he came? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So the question that I have for the church today is how are you presenting Jesus to the world? Grab it. Let it bounce around in your cranial cavity. <laughs> how are you doing at presenting Jesus to the world. He started out talking about praise. He again is talking about praise. Praise is a lifestyle. Therefore, how you operate as a mom is also called praise. <laughs> how you operate as a dad, how you operate as a business owner. You are praising God with how you operate, but you are also using your tongue to tear others down. How are you doing when it comes to presenting Jesus to the world? Because we come up in church and we're praising God on Sunday and everything seems to be good, but our tongues through Monday through Saturday are going in a different direction. Hello. I talked to this lady recently and she said, she said to me, Pastor Mark, you, you, you just, you don't understand. God has uniquely gifted me with the gifting of speaking my mind. <laughs> and I said, no, sister. The devil is uniquely using you in tearing others down. It's God's word, not mine. It says, brothers and sisters, it, it, it's not right for you to lift up God on one hand and tear down others with that instrument of praise that God gave you. Whew. We come up in church and we lift up our hands. Whoo, God is good. We get our praise on, but we leave and we're negative about what we just experienced. We come into church and we lift up our hands and we get our praise on, but then we leave and we begin to talk about the person that we have to go to work with tomorrow because we don't like them. We come into church and we get our praise on, but then we leave and we, we want to start gossiping. And We come to church and we get our praise on, and then we leave and we want to be negative about life. We come to church and we get our praise on on Sunday, and everything seems to be good. But on Monday through Saturday, our tongues are doing something contradictory to the message of Christ. I know it's painful, sweetie. I know. But how many of you know, sometimes we don't need a word that tickles our ears. We need a word that challenges our hearts and changes our minds. Mm -hmm. So I have this thing where I, I try to get into the scripture. You know, I want to see 
how it's personally applicable to me. So I try to live inside of the passage of, scri of Scripture. I want to know the historical context, the theological significance. I want to know all of those things. So sometimes I just envision how all of this is breaking out. Knowing that James is writing the letter to all of these Christian churches that are spread around the Mediterranean. And so I think about how does this look when, when the pastor receives the letter? I, I envision the pastor coming to church on a Sunday and the letter's all sealed and he walks up to the podium and he says, Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, James, our dear brother, has written us a letter of edification. James, the brother of Christ. You know all preachers kind of sound like that. James, the brother of Christ, has written us a letter about Christ, the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So can we partake today in this word because I believe it is a word that will bless our hearts. And he begins to read verse 9, and he says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. Do we have any worshipers in the house? And everybody's like, yeah, we worship him. And then all of a sudden he says, And with the same tongue we curse human beings. Oh, everybody be blessed and have a good day. <laughs> Can you imagine how difficult it must have been? To, to, to bring that word. There were probably no hallelujahs in the house that day. No amens in the house that day. Nobody leaving the church talking about somebody else that day. It was all quiet up in the Lord's house, kind of like it is right here, right now. But church, we have, we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make in the culture that we live in today. And that choice is, that decision is, how are we going to present Jesus Christ to a world that is in desperate need of him? Because there are so many lost people, so many people who need Jesus, who are very uncomfortable with coming into the church. Because how the church has portrayed Jesus in the world. Hello? Not this church, but the church in general. How we have portrayed Jesus in the world. In fact, I shared something with you before. The something that I shared with you was the Gallup poll that was done many years ago. And that poll said that the majority of Americans have a favorable opinion of Jesus, but an unfavorable opinion of the church. Why is that? The reason for that is because they know Jesus by what he stands for, which is love. And the church is only known for what we stand against, condemnation. You've heard the old statement, the old adage that says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How many of you know that's not true? <laughs> it's not even remotely true. In fact, I saw a study that was done at Purdue University in 2008, where they took thousands of people who had been physically injured and thousands of people who had been emotionally and socially injured. What they found was that emotional trauma is greater and lasts longer than physical pain. In fact, here's what one of the authors of this study he penned these words. He said, 
One of the authors, Dr. Kip Williams from Purdue, said, while both types of pain can hurt very much at the time that they occur, social pain has the unique ability to come back over and over and over again, whereas physical pain lingers only as an awareness that it was once indeed painful. That it was once indeed painful. And here is James saying, with the same tongue that you use to praise God with, you're using that same tongue to tear others down. You, you've received Christ and salvation, but yet you're not displaying the love of Christ to others. And what James was ultimately saying is, didn't Jesus come with the message of love? Didn't Jesus say, by this the world will know that you are my followers by your love for one another? You see, if, if, if you see a person who's in need and the need that they have is self-induced, maybe they've made a mistake, and rather than you coming to their aid and loving them, you walk away from them and begin to gossip about the mess that they've made, that is not love. If you see a person who is in need and you walk away from him with the negative thought, well, if he would get a job or if she would get a job, they would not be in that position. That is not love. If you're saved and you know Christ as your personal savior but your spouse does not but all that your spouse sees is your critical spirit all of the time that is not the message of Christ if you go to work and everybody at work calls you gray and it's not because the movie but rather it's because the rain cloud that constantly follows you around that is not the love of Christ did y'all catch that y'all should be watching that that movie that is not the love of Christ. Think about it in the context in which James is writing this. James is saying to them, this is so big, this is so applicable to where we are. James is saying to them, when you see a person who is not Jewish but is Gentile, you should not be using the same tongue to praise the Lord and then using that same tongue to tear that person down. You, in other words, what he was saying is when you look at another person who is not like you, you shouldn't see a Gentile, but rather you should see a brother or sister in Christ. Hmm. Hold on a second. What James is saying to us is that we should not use the lens of culture to view others through, but rather we should view others through the blood of Jesus. Hold on a second. We shouldn't use the lens of culture to see others, but rather we should see others through the blood of Jesus Christ. Grab hold of that for a minute. He's saying that your hope is not in whether you were Jew or Gentile. He's saying that's not your hope. If you were to look around at the people who are beside of you in this church, if you would look around, you would see that there are people who are different from you. There are people who didn't come from the same place that you came from. But yet they are loved by the same Savior who loves you. 
You see, our hope is not in a president saying the right thing or the wrong thing. Our hope is not in whether a statue is torn down or another new one is erected in its place. Our hope is not in the fact that we were born white or black or, 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 or Asian or Hispanic or Jew or Gentile. Our hope is not in the fact that we are Republican or Democrat. Our hope is not in the fact that we were born rich or we were born poor. Our hope is not in the fact that we should be what somebody says we should be or that we're not what somebody says we shouldn't be our hope is in the fact like the old song my hope is built on nothing less than jesus blood and righteousness i dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on jesus name james is saying if praise is coming out of your lips then works should be coming out of your life you can say that again thanks i will if praise is coming out of your lips then works should be coming out of your mouth you can say that again thanks if praise is coming out of your lips, then works should be coming out of your mouth, out of your life, out of everything that you do. Somebody give God praise because I truly believe. That it's the praise that we're willing to give God that ultimately changes the dynamics of our lives. And by that, I'm going to prove that to you. You see, if you have a desire to praise God, James said, if his praise is coming out of your lips, then works should be coming out of your life. Then he says, let me say it again. In fact, he says something else. You see, if, if, if you love God and you have a desire to praise him, you should also have a desire to love on others. So look what he says. He goes to the personal application side. I need to move on because I got so much more. Verse 13, it says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by their deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Oh, Lord. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Hold on a second. When James writes this, I need to pause here because you need to grab this. When he uses the term, those who harbor bitter envy, it is the Greek term, zealous. That term means that you have a fierce rivalry in the Greek. That term means that you are trying to extinguish someone else's thoughts and opinions so that you can elevate your own. Oh, Lord, have mercy. That term means that you are ultimately controlled by the enemy. Not my words, God's word. But James says something again that becomes the antidote for that situation. Look what he says in verse 17. Verse 17, he says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, then considerate, then submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Oh, my. Verse 18 says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Hold on a second. Here is James talking about the wisdom of heaven. 
And what he's saying is, in order for you to get the wisdom of heaven, Jonathan, in order for God to pour that wisdom into you, there has to be a vacancy in your life in order to receive it. The problem is, so many times we think our opinions are God's opinions. <laughs> we think our ways are, 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 are the ways that God needs to bless rather than us living his ways. And so we develop what's called an earthly wisdom. And that earthly wisdom is our own personal opinion. Sometimes our own personal opinion causes the divide to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And he's saying to us that it's the heavenly wisdom that is raining down from heaven that you need so desperately in order to bridge the gap that is happening in community at this moment. Oh, wow. But in order for you to have that, you've got to empty yourself. Now, hang on a second. Because that thought gave me another thought. Do you remember when Jesus said, he said, God is searching for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth? Think about this. How can a God who created everything and knows everything be searching for anything? The reason why is because it must be very hard to find someone who will worship in spirit and in truth. Why? Because we're worshiping one way on Sunday and with that tongue, but we're using our tongue in another way on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So he's talking about the significance of praise. Now, hang on. Let me take it one step deeper. I had this thought, why is it that so many times Christ followers, and, and even what James was saying, was that we really don't go into this very tangible, very specific worship. And then it came to me, the reason why we don't is because we're afraid of what will happen. We're, we're scared of what will happen. We're scared that God will change our hearts. We're scared that God will change our hearts. And if he changes our hearts, that means we have to act upon it. <laughs> We're scared that God will change our hearts, and what we would rather have is a Savior who serves our needs and who lives for us rather than us serving a Savior who died for us. Hello? That's what he's saying. He's saying it's easier for us to, to, to ask God to bless our agenda rather than us live for his agenda. Huh. So time out for a second because he gives us, where's the team, the musicians, come back. You missed it by five minutes, but that's okay. Look what it says again in verse 17. Verse 17, he says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Hold on a second. He's saying that that is what happens when you go before the Lord and you earnestly want to praise him. That's what happens in your life. Those are the things that God fills your spirit with. Hold on. That began to make me think about David. Is that how David could say, I will praise the Lord at all times. Your praise will be on my lips, even though I've been hurt by the doings of man. Is that how Jesus, who was dying on a cross, could say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do? Is that how James, who wrote this letter, was thrown off the top of the temple? When he did not die from that fall, they beat him to death, but people were standing around, heard him praying for those who were beating him. Lord, have mercy. So then James goes again to the practical application. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. He says, okay, now keep in mind, the external problems in the church, we talked about these. There's persecution, people being put to death, people being burned at the stake. 
it would be easy for, for those people to be so hurt and so angered to, to, to lash out and to, to, to start cursing men while still trying to praise God. But, but, but he says, get lost in the pureness of God, the, the, the submissiveness of God, the peace-loving, considerate, full of mercy, good fruit. But then watch this. He now goes even deeper into the internal problems. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Verse 1, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? He says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Oh, wow. Skip down to verse 7 for the sake of time. I'm closing with this. you got to grab this. So James writes, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Oh, Lord. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Hold on a second. Are you grabbing this? Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He's talking about all this stuff. You're being controlled by the enemy. (laughs) Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But then watch this, verse 8. He says, come near to God. Hold on a second. He's saying something again, just in a different way. You can say that again. You can say that again. You can say that again. He says, come near to God and he will come near to you. You can say that again. Come near to God and he will come near to you. You can say that again. Come near to God and he will come near to you. You see, when the soul sets out to seek God, God sets out to seek that soul. Mm. When the soul sets out to seek after God, God sets out to meet that soul. And the Jewish people that James is writing to, they understood what it meant to draw near to God. You've got to grab this. They knew that that meant we have to draw near to God in praise, in worship, and in prayer. Do you remember how we started he was talking about the significance of abraham praying and worship and praise and now he's going back to it you can say it again he's saying it in a different way in hopes that they'll get it he says draw near unto god and he will draw near unto you draw close unto god and he will draw close unto you he's saying that there's something about that place when you get into the presence of god it's that place it's that place in the presence of god that will help you overcome what has been coming against you it's that place when you get into the presence of god that will help you control your tongue it's that place when you get into the presence of god that you'll be able to overcome all of the hurt that's been thrown against you it's that place when you get into the presence of god that will give you the ability to love on others it's that place when you get into the presence of god that will give you the ability to speak an encouraging word to others it's that place when you get into the presence of god that will enable you to break that critical spirit that you have that negativity in your life it's that place when you get into the presence of god because when you say god come near to me that's when verse 17 begins to fill your spirit come near to me god and all of the purities of heaven will rain down in your life come near to me god and give me the ability to love those who are hard to love and god will do it come near to me god and give me the ability to be an encourager and God will do it come near to me God 
God and give me the ability to control my mouth, to control my tongue, and God will do it. Come near to me, God, and give me the ability to see with your eyes, to love with your heart, to touch with your hands, and God will do it. You can say that again. You can say that again. Somebody get up on your feet and give God praise. Come close unto God, and he'll draw near unto you. You can say that again. Draw close unto God, and he will draw near unto you. High five your neighbor and say, you can say that again. Now here's what's cool about this passage of scripture. I don't know if you've connected all of the dots and I know I'm out of time. But what he was saying is to the church is there's a lot of external problems. There are some internal problems. But if you'll understand that it's getting into the presence of God that will enable you to break the strongholds of life. It is getting into the presence of God that will enable you to love others rather than seeing them from the wrong perspective. You'll begin to see them through the blood of Christ. Oh. 